I think one of my favorite series these years is the message, movies with a message. And I enjoy the research, if nothing else, being able to go to the movies and justify going to the movies and, and seeing for, looking for redemptive qualities in the movies. And so this year is one of those that I think that uh, the, the movies just pop. I mean, it's so easy. There's so many redemptive qualities and so many different movies would go all summer with it. But it gives you an excuse also to go rent the movie and watch it at home and do your homework before you come, if you will. And so I want to talk today about something that came out very clear in the movie Invictus. I want to talk to you in the form of a pill that you and I need to receive and give this pill, if not once a day, multiple times in any given day of the week. This pill, if you do not take it, it will, it can absolutely destroy your life, not taking it. If you don't take this pill, you will become very, very sick and with a slow and painful death to come as a result of that. Now, death is evident for all of us, but slow and painful, nobody wants that. If you have this sickness and you do not take this pill, those around you will suffer the consequences of your sickness. They will, one, either get sick themselves from your sickness, or two, they will so despise your illness that they will want to leave you, not be with you, run in the other direction when you do come around. This is a very important pill that we must take. It will change your life. If you don't take it, it'll change your life. If you do take it, it'll change your life. If you do give it, it'll change your life. It's absolutely a pivotal pin in everything. If you do not take it, it will metastasize into your life, into your body, and make you extremely sick. One person said about this, it is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's how painful this is. And that's how real this is. It's like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. And this pill that I speak of, that we need to give and to receive on a regular, daily, if not hourly basis, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is absolutely fundamental to your life. It is fundamental to relationships, and you can't get away from relationships, right? You work with them, you eat with them, you sleep with them, you, you, you have children, you're married. I mean, relationships are all the way around. You're not married. You have work relationships. You have family, sibling relationships. It's all over. Relationships are everywhere. And relationships force us to constantly be giving or receiving forgiveness. Now, the problem is, is that we like to receive forgiveness. We sometimes have a difficulty in giving forgiveness. We like it when we absolutely muff one and mess it up and, and all that kind of stuff to have somebody give us the grace to be in the relationship longer. We don't necessarily like to give it. We're almost like a combination lock where you have to get in and figure out my combination if you're ever going to receive forgiveness from me. It's a dangerous. You, again, I emphasize you will become sick if you do not learn to live in an attitude and a response of life of forgiveness constantly. Stanford University did a study with a psychologist, Carl Torlson. Six, uh, took some of his colleagues and developed six weeks' worth of curriculum to try to help people learn how to forgive. 
Again, I want to say this. I don't think it comes natural. I think it's very unnatural to learn to forget. So uh, the, psych- the psychiatrist or the psychologist at, at Stanford got together and developed a six-week curriculum, sat down and taught this, this focus group. 259 adults in the study taught a focus group, how do you forgive? How can I learn to forgive? Taught the focus group this. Of the focus group, the controlled group, those who were not receiving the, the counseling and the instruction and the coaching on how to forgive, how did they respond? They found that those who did not receive the instructions and the counseling and the, and the sessions on forgiveness, they had increased growth in stress, anger, and symptoms of headache and upset stomachs along the way. What are we trying to say? I'm just trying to tell you. If you don't learn and you don't learn to live with and learn to live in a constant dispenser of forgiveness, your life will be a slow, painful death. Forgiveness is fundamental. Relationships are every day and everywhere on multiple levels. If you don't like relationships, get you a volleyball, name it Wilson, and go live on an island somewhere. And maybe you'll get along with a volleyball. But relationships, you can't get away from them. They're all around us, and we need to understand. And if we don't learn forgiveness, you want to kill a relationship faster than anything? Don't forgive. You want to hurt your relationship with God faster than anything? Don't forgive. In fact, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, and out of the message, it says, If you have anything against someone, forgive. Pretty clear. Anyone against anything? Anyone against someone? Forgive. Only then... Will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe away the slate, your slate clean? You, you want to have a clean slate? You want to be forgiven? Learn to forgive. You know, we are a people that we, 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 don't, we don't admit that we hold a grudge. We don't admit that we hold a grudge, but yet we get into an argument with somebody, and what's the first thing we do? We bring up things that happened five years ago. You know, you said this, and you did that, and because of that, now I'm still living in this. Again, we don't say we hold a grudge, but yet I'm afraid that we struggle with that. We say we're not vindictive people, but yet we're all along looking for the opportunity for that person to stump their toe, have a flat tire on the side of the road, get a speeding ticket, and we're going to laugh all the way to the bank. We just can't wait for that other person to fail that has wronged us and to get even with them. And we'll say what? Serves them right. We're not vindictive. No, we just like it when they get hurt. What's the problem with this? The problem is we haven't learned to be a constant dispenser and a constant recipient of forgiveness. We live in this eating us alive, poison drinking bitterness that hangs on and can control us and ultimately kill us. When I went to the movies and I saw the very first night that it came out Invictus, you got to remember, I like history and I like Africa. So you put those together, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. If it comes out on the movie, I'm going to watch it. So we're the first night there, we're there, we see it, and when it comes out the very first night, not that great of a movie. I think it could have done a little better. If you really wanted to know my, my thumbs up, I'll give it a thumb up and a thumb down or something like that. But the message, the redemptive quality of the movie, I think is amazing. If you've got to understand a little bit of South African history, though, Nelson Mandela, born in 1918, to a white controlled, dominated government. He was born into a white 
self-controlled government. Apartheid was not full swing at this point, but apartheid would soon come on. And apartheid came in and they began to take land away from, from, from black Africans and minorities and colored people. and They can control their, their movement. They even gave them a pass. You couldn't go. They treated them like a child in elementary school going to the hall of the bathroom. They had to give them a pass. If you wanted to travel through the country, then you had to have a pass to get through the country. They told them where they were going to live. They put them on compounds. You've heard of Soweto or some of those compounds now. Now they're houses, but then they were compounds, just lean-tos. And they were forced to live there with their tribes. So they were very much a controlled culture. They couldn't vote. They had no voice. They, they, they were beaten. They had curfews. It was all a very difficult place to live in a nation where 79% of the people were black. So this was a minority-ruled nation. Nelson Mandela was born into it. It's all he knew. And it wasn't until 1956 that he experienced his first bout with the law when he was thrown into, into jail as a college student, as a law student. In 1956, he was thrown into jail for treason. Now, that's a pretty high crime. But all his treason was was speaking out against apartheid. That was all he did wrong. And that alone landed him and 150 other guys behind bars. And from 1956 to 1990, Nelson Mandela in and out, in and out of jail for the crime of standing up and speaking out against apartheid. That was the culture in which he lived. That was the culture which he knew. That was the culture which he was raised. That was what he knew. And what would be your response in that situation? I know my response. 1990, I get out, momentum's on my side. 1994, I become president of the nation. My natural inclination is now justice. Get even. Do what's right. I'm going to eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever it takes, I'm going, to, I'm going to get even with the people who have wronged me. I'm going to go after the ones, not Nelson Mandela. And this is why he's on my top three. I'd love to meet him in the world list. Because Nelson Mandela brought something into the presidential office that was totally out of character and abnormal. He brought forgiveness. He brought forgiveness in when everybody else was wanting, when everybody else was wanting vengeance and, and justice and right. He brought forgiveness. It was so bizarre. The movie may appear as if it's about rugby, but it's not. It's about forgiveness. And I want to show you one of the scenes of the movie Whenever the forgiveness that started had to first start in Nelson Mandela's heart. But it went from there and it went straight down to his security and his cabinet and, and the parliament. And it had to work its way out throughout the entire country. But listen, forgiveness started in one man and it saved an entire nation. One man saved an entire nation. Watch this scene. What's this? Mr. Jason Chabalala. That's me. Am I under arrest? Captain Fader and team reporting for duty, sir. What duty? With a presidential bodyguard. We've been assigned to this office. Here are our orders. The special branch, right? You'll see that they've been signed. Well, okay, if they're signed. Wait here.
So just have you, sir. You look agitated, Jason. Well, that's because there are four special branch cops in my office. Oh, what did you do? Nothing. Well, they say they're the presidential bodyguards and they have orders signed by you. Ah, yes, ah, yes. Well, uh, these men are special trained by SAS. They have lots of experience. They protected the clerk. Yes, sir, but it doesn't mean that they have to come. You asked for more men, didn't you? Yes, sir, I asked... Uh, when people see me in public, they see my bodyguards. You represent me directly. The Rainbow Nation starts here. Reconciliation starts here. Reconciliation, sir. Yes, reconciliation, Jason. Comrade President, not long ago these guys tried to kill us. Maybe even these four guys in my office tried and often succeeded. Yes, I know. Forgiveness starts here too. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. Please, Jason. Try. You think about forgiveness. This was in 1994 when a nation was just four years into its first black president. It was still in turmoil. We, uh, my family, moved to southern Africa in uh, 97, several years after, uh, obviously, Nelson Mandela's election. But you could still feel almost the tension come from southern Africa, throughout southern Africa, everybody watching to see what was going to happen in South Africa. Well, in 1995, there was the Rugby Cup that was hosted in South Africa. And Nelson Mandela used that event as a playing field of which the, it was really a segregated playing field as well. Where the whites watched, watched uh, rugby and the blacks did soccer. And all of a sudden, Nelson Mandela is donning the Springbuck outfit. And he is walking on the field greeting the players. And, and yet, an African, a black African, would boo and jeer and actually cheer for the other team to beat the Springboks of South Africa. That's how deep the hatred is. But yet, Nelson Mandela took the playing field of rugby and he turned it into a ground of forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, I don't know where your playing ground is. Field of rugby, office, dinner table, kitchen table, bedroom, family relationships, family reunions. There's a friend across the street. Whatever it is, where is your playing field that you need to see and experience and give and receive forgiveness? Forgiveness is not an easy topic to come to. In fact, I would say this. It's really as I, as I was trying to say earlier, it's kind of like we are, when we talk about forgiveness, it's kind of like this box. It's a small box, though. It's a really small box for some people. And if you're going to get forgiveness from me, you've got to know which button to push, when and how and where. And if you don't push my button right, then you may get an electric shock back out of it. But this little box is my box of forgiveness. And if you do the right thing, say the right thing the right way, then you get forgiveness from me. And if you don't, then you won't. And that's how we control the conduit of forgiveness. In reality, forgiveness should be a stream, ever-flowing, where anybody that we offend can constantly come to our life and experience grace and forgiveness, not a box that we keep for ourselves. 
Take your Bibles be looking at the book of Matthew chapter 18. And I just want us to try to understand today a little bit about what is forgiveness. Because I believe that, again, I don't know that we really understand. I don't think it's a natural response. I think our natural response is to be to hold a grudge. Our natural response is to be vindictive. Our natural response is just to wait for that other person to fall. Even if we aren't vindictive and we actually initiate it, we want to see them fail. We want to see vengeance. But what is forgiveness? Do we really understand what it is? In this story in Matthew 18, Jesus has just got through going through with the disciples and telling them, what do you do when you find a brother in sin? How do you correct them? How do you bring them back? Verse 15 to verse 20 is talking about that. Bingo. It sparks something in Peter's mind. Peter starts thinking. Peter's a big thinker. Peter often opens his mouth and inserts his foot. I know that. He often stumbles, but at least when he falls, he falls forward. And this is another one of those times, I think, when he falls, he falls forward. Because he asked Jesus this question. He's like, Jesus, you know, okay, I got a brother and he, 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 he falls, he does something against me, breaks a trust or whatever. He, he sins against me. How often should I forgive him? That was the question. How often should I forgive him? Well, should I forgive him seven times? Because, see, what was happening in that time is he, the Hebrew people for so many years, in the book of Amos and other uh, Old Testament books, they said you forgive somebody three times. Basically, three strikes and you're out. That was the rule. So Paul, uh, Peter takes it to a new level. He says, listen, Jesus, I'm going to take it to a new level. I'm going to double it plus one. What if I forgive somebody seven times? Now, you've got to know Peter. He had to be thinking for a moment, I'm going to get some brownie points from Jesus. I'm going to err on the side of forgiveness. I, Jesus is going to love me because I'm doing more than the Pharisees. That's what he's taught us to do, do more than the Pharisees. And Jesus says, no, you need to do it 70 times 7. And all of a sudden it begins to make a little bit better sense to him. And I want us to understand this today in the light of the angles of forgiveness. And the first angle I want us to see is the width of forgiveness. What's 70 times 7? 490. Now, was Jesus literally saying, listen, I want you to keep a tally. Get you a, get you a, a piece of paper, and anytime somebody wrongs you, you just put a strike down. And after 490 times, you kick them out of your life. You know what would happen? After one year of marriage, we'd all be divorced. There's 490 opportunities in a month uh, for, for, for Lori to forgive me. So the whole idea is, is that it's infinity. He's trying to say, listen, don't do, don't do three times. Don't do seven times. 490 times? Let's talk now. Now we're talking the language of forgiveness. What he's calling us out to here is he's calling us to live a life. That forgiveness is a lifestyle for a lifetime. Forgiveness is a lifestyle for a lifetime. Will I live in forgiveness? You know what? If you don't like people, don't give up on them. You don't like your job? Don't give up on them. You don't like the church? Don't give up on it. You're dealing with people, and people are problems, aren't they? Life would be great if it weren't for the people. The problem is, is that we live with people. We're married to people. We give birth to people. And people are fallen. And we're going to have to deal with it day in and day out. Now, how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to have a short lease? Are we going to have a short fountain of grace? Are we going to have this little combination box that you're going to have to work out to be able to get into my life to get grace out of it? No. We need to be constantly giving grace. Seventy times seven. Whatever it takes. 
Keep giving it out throughout your lifetime. Give out grace. It is a lifestyle. Martin Luther King, I would find comparable to Nelson Mandela, said this, Forgiveness is not just an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. Permanent attitude. Am I going to live with flawed people in a flawed world, in flawed circumstances, and am I going to allow grace and forgiveness to flow from my life. Because I promise you this, if you haven't figured it out yet, people will fail you. Your mate will fail, fail you. And what we have to do is learn in of ourselves to learn to give grace. It's not a combination to get into my vault of grace. It is a flowing out of my life, constantly giving it to people. The second angle. First of all, there's the width. It's a lifetime. From the beginning to the end of my life, when it begins, when it ends, there needs to be constantly giving out forgiveness. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's permanent. The second angle is the height of forgiveness. How, how deep, how high does the sin and the faults and the blames and the brokenness need to be before I finally say enough. I'm drowning in here. How high does it have to get? Now, Jesus goes on after he tells Peter 70 times 7, and he tells him a story. In Jesus' typical fashion, he's a storyteller. We're talking about movies. These are stories. Stories communicate. That's exactly what he does. One of the 35 parables that he tells is about a man who was a master. He was a king. He was a ruler. And he had all his servants. His servants owed him different things. Well, let's just read the story. Matthew 18, begin with me in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts of his servants. That was the intention. He wanted to get things right. Who is the king in the story? God the Father. Who are the servants? You and me. All right, you can see the parable unfolding now. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. What it was in this story, if you will, give me the liberty to expound on it. His accountant was going through the records. He had every subject, every one, every servant in his kingdom. He had every record of every wrong that was ever done or everything that was indebted to him. He came to this one guy who was so indebted, he was 10,000 talents indebted. We'll come back and break that down in just a moment. But he was seriously indebted. How does the king respond? And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold. Talk about slave trade here. His wife and his children and all he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master, God the Father, of the servant, you and me, released him and forgave him his debt. That's a beautiful story right there. Stop the story in the story. Isn't it awesome to think that this man, 10,000 talents in the hole, all of a sudden throws himself at the mercy of the master. And the master says, listen, I don't care how high your debt is. I am going to forgive you, wipe it clean. It wasn't that, hey, you pay me back when you can. You know, don't worry about it. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll extend it out, but I'm just going to increase your interest rates. 
No. It was not that refi at all. It was an absolute smudging, cleaning up, gone, no debt whatsoever. It's a beautiful story. And I wish the story ended there. But do you understand what was going on? This man owed him 10,000 talents. I did some research on what 10,000 talents equates to. It's not even a form of currency. It's actually a weight, a measurement. So this guy owed him so much, you could measure and weigh the amount of debt that this guy owed him. So let me read you what I found out. It wasn't a coin, but it was worth about 6,000 drachmas. The equivalent, listen to this, of 20 years of wages is what he owed him of labor. A common laborer would earn one denarius per day. In approximate modern equivalents, if a laborer earns $15 an hour at 2,000 hours per year, he would earn $30,000. And a talent would be equal to 600,000 U.S. dollars. All right, now hang with me on this next one. So you take 600,000 U.S. dollars and multiply it by 10,000 talents. He owed him $6 billion. And all of a sudden, the master out of the goodness of his heart, no matter how deep the sin, no matter how deep the debt, he says, forgiven, forgiven. See, the, the, the power of forgiveness is their only limit of forgiveness is the limit you put on it. There's no limit to it. In fact, forgiveness has no limits outside the limits that we set. We are the ones who limit how much forgiveness can flow from our lives. Romans 5.8 says this, When sin increased, what happened? Grace increased all the more. You can't out-sin God's grace. Now, you can't just take God's grace and trample it underfoot. Don't even go there. Read Romans 6 on that one. All right? But what it does say is that there isn't any limit to God's grace. Our sin may be this level. Guess what? God's grace is even higher. John chapter 1, verse 16 says, And in His fullness, speaking of Jesus, all we received, grace for grace, grace upon grace, we get God's forgiveness. It's a beautiful story. The life principle is this, where my grace ends, my ability to become Christ-like also ends. See, there's no end to God's grace. There's no end to His forgiveness. There's no end to what He will look past and clean up the mess of our own lives. So how do we do that when we relate to other people? See, what happens is this man in this story, the one who owed $6 billion, on that day... He developed a theology of forgiveness. He, wow, man, I've never seen forgiveness like this. He could now conceptualize that. He now had a paradigm. He now had a schema for what grace and forgiveness looked like. It was now way beyond anything he could imagine. He had a theology of grace, but he did not have a practice of grace. And the danger is you who go to church on a regular basis, you can quickly develop a theology of grace, but not a practice of grace. You can answer and teach these children all about forgiveness and quote verse after verse after verse. But I wonder sometimes if we don't forget and not practice the very thing that we teach. 
go on reading the story with me again. I wish it ended in verse 27, but it doesn't. Verse 28 picks it up. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. We'll come back and talk about that. Seizing him, he began to choke him. Now, he takes it up a notch, man. This is the servant who was just forgiven six billion, okay? Now he's choking the guy. Pay what you owe. So he fell so, so the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Ah, patience with me. I will pay you. He refused and went, uh, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now you wonder, how's the guy going to pay him if he's ever in prison? There's so many nuances to this story. It's crazy. He's in prison. He's never be able to repay. So it's an endless cycle for him. There's, there's no hope for that. Whatever, go on. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what he had done taking place, he greatly distressed, they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all their debt, that $6 billion, because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you in the anger of the master, uh, delivered him into the jailers until he should pay all his debt. See, Mr. Ozalot knew a lot and had experienced grace and forgiveness, but he didn't give it. How deep is the is the failure, is the sin, is the betrayal, is the broken promises of the people in your life. You come over here and you want us to receive all of God's grace and goodness. But how deep is your own forgiveness? See, forgiveness is not something that I come to you and ask for and then you give it. That's how we've made it in our American culture. Forgiveness is something I choose to give. I don't earn forgiveness. I will never earn it. You don't earn forgiveness. You'll never earn it. It is freely given or it is withheld. Desmond Tutu is also another guy who really helped shape Africa's, South Africa's reformation, if you will, in the 1990s. Desmond Tutu has written a book on forgiveness that at first glance through it First quick read through it. It's an amazing book on forgiveness. I look forward to really diving in and drawing down into it and understanding it more. But he talks about in in his book, because he, what happened is as he helped through the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission of South Africa, he helped a nation stay together that could have very easily imploded because even though blacks now ruled in government and poli- the, the economy and the police were still under white rule, this was a perfect storm for a nation to fall apart. But it was Desmond Tutu who came together and helped bring reconciliation and resolution to the problems in the nation. And he actually, after the genocide of a million people dying in Rwanda in just a hundred days, he was actually one of the instrumental figures in that movement to help bring reconciliation to Rwanda that's still happening today. But he introduced the third way. You can read about it in his book and learn about it more from him. The third way. It's how do you deal with this evil of humanity? How do you deal with the inhumanity of humanity? And what he says is a third way. He said the first way is a very common way. Many marriages go through this. It's called 
Avoid. Ignore. Do nothing. Sweep it under the rug. Don't talk about it. Don't answer the questions. Don't say, I'm sorry. Don't repent. Don't change. You just kind of go on and you just like, it's not, it didn't even happen. It happened and the scars are there to prove it and the shrapnel is there. But if you sweep it under the rug, eventually, you know what's going to happen? You're going to come see me. And when you come see me, you're going to say, I don't know why, I just don't love him anymore. I don't know why, but she's just broken my trust. I, I, I don't know why, but I have fallen out of love. And then you'll go to the courthouse after me. You'll do this kind of mock, kind of pretend like you've gone to counseling thing. And then you'll go down to the courthouse and you'll fill out these papers and you'll say, there were irreconcilable differences. You know what that means? That means you lived a life of not dealing with the issues and not resolving the conflict. And it mounted up and you can't even name one issue. It's a whole bunch of them. The second way you deal with it is you get even. Vengeance, man. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You, man, you get in there, you did this to me, I'm going to do that to you. I will get even with you. That is a way that is commonly used. The third way is the way that Desmond Tutu said that we've got to deal with this if we're going to deal with it as a nation. And that is we've got to sit down and talk about it. Person to person. We've got to resolve it. We've got to take the inhumanity We've got to put humanity back in, in uh, back in our inhumanity. He actually quoted a Zulu proverb, and I'm going to try to read it from Zulu. And it says this: "Imuntu, gumuntu, ngambantu," and it means this: a person is a person through persons. What does that mean? This Zulu proverb means this: when I we have a broken relationship. We have a broken trust. When I, the the hurt one, comes to you and extends to you freely, even before you come to me, forgiveness, reconciliation, hope, and grace. Guess what happens? Your inhumanity goes out and your humanity comes back. And then we can create a conversation to work through the issues. But whenever I hold over here and hold this bitterness in my heart and hold this anger in my heart, guess what? You're not going to come to me. And there's going to be a lot of people in this world that even when you go to them, I hate to say this, but their humility is not there and their pride is there and they're never going to say they're wrong. And you're going to be stuck out there like a matzo ball. And you're going to have apologized. You're going to say, I'm sorry, you know, and this hurt me. And, you know, I really wish this hadn't happened. But I tell you what, you did this and I'm going to forgive you anyway. I'm going to make space in my life for forgiveness to be there. You know what? They're going to trample it underfoot. And I'm going to hate it. And you're going to hate it. And you're going to say, I'm going to quit. Listen to that Mike McDaniel. He's an idiot. He's a fool. Uh, you know what? That's forgiveness. When Jesus said, you come and you bring your offerings, you bring it to the altar, and you lay it at the altar, and you realize that, hey, your brother has something against you, what does he tell you to do? He tells you to leave your offering and go and be reconciled. Hold it here. My brother has something against me. Yes, you leave your offering and you go be reconciled to them. Much as you can, you need to extend that olive branch of peace and forgiveness and grace. In in any and every circumstance. So what's the width of forgiveness? Your entire life. 490 times, that's just the beginning. Forgive. 
and continually forgive. What's the height? Well, how deep? <laughs> how deep is the sin? How much over your head is the, is the failure and the broken trust? Well, you know what? Your grace needs to be a little bit higher. A little bit higher. You be a conduit of grace. Number three, and that is the depth of forgiveness. How far down does our forgiveness go? For many people, I'm afraid it just goes to lip service. I heard Frank Menroth, uh, uh, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Frank Menroth and Paul Meyer speak one time on a Focus on the Family broadcast, and they were talking about the number one disease in America that causes depression, emotional disorders, and burnout is unresolved anger. If we don't resolve anger, then depression, burnout, emotional disorders all come into play. We've got to learn to get past the unresolved anger. And we've got to let it go down deep and not just lip service. How many of y'all have ever said, now don't raise your hand on this one. Confession's good for the soul, I know, but don't raise your hand on this one. How many of y'all have said, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget? I've said it. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. You know what you're saying? You're lying, number one. But what you're saying is, is all right, I know I'm supposed to forgive you, so I'm going to say I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to cognitively recognize it and form a word in my lips and my, my labial, and I'm going to spit it out. All right, lips, forgiveness. Well, it's not there. It's not there. Your tongue and your mouth may say one thing, but it doesn't happen. You say it, but it doesn't really happen. Well, here's the, here's the point. Is even though you say it with your lips, even though you said it in your heart, and even though you said it in your head, it didn't happen in your heart. Look at the last verse 35. So also, my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, there has to be a going down deep inside of us where we say, I'm going to forgive you down deep. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 5, 13, 5, Love keeps no record of wrong. Would you read that with me? Love keeps no record of wrong. Don't let that heaviness of unforgiveness weight you down. Don't live there because what happens is it just makes a place for Satan to have a little bit of you. Just to have a little bit of you. And what he does with a little bit of you is he then comes in and starts to pick you apart. And he does it through bitterness. That's why it says in Hebrews 12:15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. See, if we don't learn to forgive deep down in our heart, we don't experience and we don't give it, it'll never happen. The word Invictus in the movie, I thought it was some Zulu word to start with, but it's not. It's actually a Latin word. And it means unconquered. Unconquered. You see, when, when Nelson Mandela spent his 27 years in prison, fighting from inside the prison walls for, for apartheid to end, how did that young Methodist boy grow up in this apartheid era and go on through such a time of hatred and not become very vindictive? 
is he was not unconquered. He was he was not conquered by anger. He was unconquered. Invictus. But actually it wasn't just that. It was actually a poem that he remembered and that he committed to memory that he would begin to share and quote to himself. And I want to read to you uh, this quote, this this poem, just a portion of it by William Ernest Henley. Beyond the place of wrath and tears. Now think about your own hurts and your own pains and betrayals. Your own wrath and tears. Looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishment, the scroll. I like these last two phrases. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What Mandela said is I am not going to let anger and bitterness and betrayal and brokenness to come and master me. I will be the captain of my soul. For some of us here today, the greatest victory of this day may not be resolving it with some crazy person over here in our life who's hurt us deeply, painfully. But it may be us today taking back the captain of our soul and not allowing anybody else to control us in our spirits. Would you today look at your life and look at the people of your life and look at the people who've hurt you in your life and would you set them free and start making space in your life to forgive them? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment? Just in the silence of a moment, I'm sure that there's probably some today um, who what's on your mind are the people who've hurt you. They've been a part of that broken trust. And like I said earlier, the sad part is, is it's typically the people that we are closest to. People we've been vulnerable with. And that person may be so far out of your life now, they may not even be living anymore. But you still live with the poison in your spirit. The anger in your soul. The pain in your joints and in your body. And again, forgiveness is not something that somebody necessarily comes to you and initiates. Forgiveness is something you do. You forgive other people. You know, the thing is, if you never forgive, then you will go from this relationship into another relationship. And you know what you'll carry into that new relationship, that new, fresh experience of a relationship? You will carry the anger and the bitterness and the hurt You go to one job, to a new job, and this better job from this old lousy boss that you had before, this cheat, this fink, this unethical, you know what? If you don't learn to forgive, you'll take that bitter and that anger, that distrust for for bosses, employers, to your next job. It doesn't matter where it is in your life. You, me, we all 
must make space in our life for forgiveness. Don't follow the example of this world. Look into the face of Jesus who will forgive your $6 billion debt so that you can be free again. But that's only as an example that as we go into the world, we will be debt forgivers as well. Father, I can't even talk to you. I can't even pray right here on this stage to you if it were not for your forgiveness. For the mountain of of sin in front of me and the truckload of sin behind me. Lord, if it were not for your forgiveness, I could not even talk to you right now. Lord, all across this room are people with visions of hurt and pain and suffering and brokenness from relationships and people. God, right now, would you help them to give grace? Would you help them to receive your grace? If there's anybody in this room, Lord, that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, oh, to God, that they would get rid of the burden of their sin today and come to the front and just fall on their face, Lord, of these steps and just say, Dear Jesus, I don't know what to say, but I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. And Lord, just let them pour their heart out. Lord, there may be some who need to come and just bring a person's name and just lay it at the front. And get up and walk away and forgive that person. Even though they've never asked for it, even though some of them don't even feel like they need it. Lord, this is your time.